Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, deal with, in this passage, just beautiful truths and also things that are quite heavy to many people in this room, Lord, we pray for your help. It's easy to feel like, like the disciples did when they had just a few fish and a few loaves, and there were so many. And Lord, bringing what I have here feels like that. And yet your word is powerful and you will multiply it for your people. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak individually to each person here, whether they're those who um, are dealing with unwanted singleness or those who are dealing with same-sex attraction or those who are dealing with marriages that have ended for various reasons. Lord, for those who are in difficult marriages, for those who struggle in all sorts of ways, and there's just no way that one person can address all these things, but you can. Your spirit can speak individually to every single person here, and your word can be multiplied to every single person here. And so I pray, Lord, even things I wouldn't mention, that you would speak through your word today, and that you would cause all of us to leave knowing that we had been spoken to by you, which is an amazing gift that you speak to your people through your word, through your spirit. It's an amazing thing. We don't fully understand it, but we're thankful for it. We pray, Lord, open our minds and our hearts. Make our hearts good soil for your word and for the gospel. And Lord, we pray that we would leave change, transform. We pray that, Lord, that those who are here that are married, their marriages would be enriched by your word, by your spirit. And we pray for those who are here that are struggling in all sorts of ways that you meet their needs. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the fifth week of this series called Generous Design. And the idea is to look at God's generosity in designing us, either male or female, and giving us the gifts of work and friendship and marriage and sex and parenting. And this week, we're going to look at the individual roles or the distinct roles that husbands and wives have in marriage. Each week, we're going to have a book to give away. The book we're giving away this week, I got five copies of a book by Jackie Hill Perry called Gay Girl, Good God. Really great book by her. If you're looking for a book that would equip you better and how to think about and how to communicate about homosexuality, this is really an incredible book. She's a great author. It's not only a powerfully true book, but it's poetically written. 
she's a spoken word artist. And so really, if you could do the audiobook, it's her and it's amazing. It's just the, the poetic style that she has. But I've got five copies of this. And if you are going to read it, not decorate a shelf with it, but actually read it in the near future, they're right here. And we'd love for you to have that. So this week in our series, we're going to look at how God's generously designed husbands and wives for distinct roles in marriage and the distinct ways in which husbands and wives reflect the gospel in their ordinary marriage. And these are often called roles. Those of you who have been in the church a long time, role of husband, role of wife, you guys have heard those terms for the distinct ways in which husbands and wives uh, live out the gospel. That idea of a role, right, is taken from the metaphor of a theater. And that's really appropriate because marriage is not about what you probably think it's about. In uh, ancient culture, marriage was about uh, the status and security of your family. So you'd form marriage alliances that were helped with the status and security of your family. In modern culture, we think of marriage uh, to find happiness or self-fulfillment. But the Bible talks about marriage as being about something altogether different. The Bible speaks, especially this text, about marriage being gospel reenactment. Gospel reenactment. That, that every Christian marriage is a drama of the gospel. It's a play. It's a public drama, which is embarrassing that we do this out in the public. But plays have actors, actors have roles, and we can see in this text that the wife has the role of the church in this drama, and the husband has the role of Christ. And what we're going to see this morning is that we find both the script, how we live out our role, and the power to do so in the gospel. And so we're going to first look at the script for each of our roles, and then we're going to look at the power of it. And we're going to see that as we act out the roles that are here for us in Ephesians 5, we'll find a power in our marriage that's not us. It's clearly Christ. And so first one is wives. It says, the wife reflects the gospel by submitting to her own husband as the church submits to Christ. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands. I am aware, okay, unless you think I'm not, I am aware of how that grates against like the raw nerve endings of many in our culture. You know, to say those words. I mean, to, to many of you, those words are like, oh, that's so great. But for many in our culture, it grates against their raw nerve endings. And I'm aware that there even are some here that that grates against the raw nerve endings of your heart as well. And you might have really good reasons for that, actually. Perhaps someone has used those particular words against you. They've used those words in a way that's abusive against you. But I'm also aware that I would not be doing you guys any favors if I acted like this text didn't exist. Or I tried to explain it away. And I would be here and I'd very carefully try and show you how this doesn't mean exactly what it clearly means. Right? There's no point in that, right? We are not free to mold scripture to fit our image. The scriptures are given by God so that we're molded in his image. Amen? If there's molding needed, we're the ones who need to be molded, not the scriptures. But I do think that there's some misunderstandings here that are important to clear up. And the first one is the word submission itself. When you think of the word submission, does it have a positive or a negative connotation to you? How many of you guys, like, just naturally submission has great connotations? Okay. Very few, right? But you learned that. So we have one, but you learned that from the scripture. Naturally, we don't have that. And the reason is, is the way submission's used in our culture. Well, I mean, it's used in wrestling, right? 
So in, in wrestling, submission is something someone does to you. It's not something that you have voluntarily had done to you. It's something, somebody using their power to dominate over you. And in fact, in our common cultural usage, if you look it up in a dictionary, here's a sentence for the word submission in just a standard dictionary. The sentence is, they were forced into submission. Okay, so that's the common way that the word submission is used. It's used when someone uses their power to dominate over another person. But guys, that's not what this text is talking about, okay? And actually, do you know what it is when someone uses power to dominate or control another person in marriage? Do you know what that's called? It's called abuse, okay? Abuse is when a husband uses power to dominate or control their wife, okay? That's actually called abuse. That's not submission. And if your husband is using his power to dominate or control you, that's not submission. That's abuse. And God doesn't call you in this text or in any other text in Scripture to allow yourself to stay in an abusive situation, okay? And you might say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about abuse. Look in the Psalms and then the prophets— under oppression or the oppressed, and it speaks a lot about abuse, actually. And I'm going to send out this week via email some digital resources on abuse, and that's for those of you to look at privately if you think you might be in an abusive marriage. You can look at these resources privately, and you can kind of see if that's where you're at. And if that's where you're at, we really want to know. Josh and I really want to know. The women of this church really want to know. We want to help you with this. We want to help you get out of that. And I want you to know, too, that, I mean, I've learned a little bit about this. If you were to call one of us or contact one of us and tell us you're in an abusive situation, we're not going to, like, run right over your husband and yell at him because that'd be dangerous for you. We're going to let you guide the process, and we will help you get out of that, okay? And also, your husband is not a piece of trash. Your husband is, is somebody that needs care as well, and you don't do him any good by staying in that kind of relationship. There's actually tons of good biblical resources, even from the abuser's perspective, on helping them. But for you, the most important thing is that you're safe, that you're in a situation where you can have your sanity back, um, where you're in a situation where you're not, he's not using force to dominate or control you, okay? One other thing I have for you guys, not for those who might be in an abusive situation, but for those of you guys that want to get equipped in this, I've got this book. This is so, if you want to get equipped, maybe you have a friend or maybe you have a family or somebody like that and you're concerned about them. This is a book by um, Darby Strickland called Is It Abuse? A Biblical Guide to Identifying and Helping Victims. So we'd love to equip you guys in that. So I have those, five of those, if anybody wants one of those. If you feel like you may be in an abusive situation, that's not for you to grab this big book. I'm going to send you something you can look at privately, okay? So you can kind of process those things by yourself. There's lots of good, really good, biblical resources on abuse. So I just think that at least once a year, it's important for us to like put that out there to say that we're here for you. We're a family. We're going to help you get out of that. We're going to help you. We're even going to help your husband in this, but um, we're definitely going to prioritize your care, your safety, your sanity. So what does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? Looking at verse 22, it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Notice guys, this command is not to the husbands. It doesn't say, husbands, submit your wives, does it? No, it's a, the command is to the wives. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. Nowhere are husbands told to bring their wives into submission, okay? 
And even a non-abusive husband that's just reading the Bible and feels like he needs to be faithful to Scripture might feel like, my wife's not submissive to me, she's not following my leadership, I need to fix that. that. The command's to her, okay? So you're not actually called to bring your wife into submission, your role's coming later. But the Greek word here translated submit means to rank yourself under. So it's, it's a voluntary ranking yourself under. Wives, you submit to your husbands by voluntarily affirming your husband's leadership in your family. It's something you give. Uh, and Paul gives a really good reason for it. Look at verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So you notice the word for in the beginning of verse 23? He's giving a reason. You should, you should want to rank yourself under your husband. You should want to follow his leadership for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Paul's encouraging wives to do that because their husband is their head. What does a head mean? Well, it means that he has a role of spiritual leadership. And his role of spiritual leadership, whether you follow him or not, is going to affect your family. God has put him in that role. Adam was given that role. You know, we can see in Genesis 2 that Adam was given the role of leading his family. Before Eve was even created, he was given God's law, right? even before she was created. And when things went bad in the family and the family sinned against God, him and his wife, who did God come to to talk to about it? Came directly to Adam. In Genesis 3.9, it says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? It's really important for us husbands to realize is that God similarly holds us responsible for the relationship, for the family, for the direction of the family. That when he returns, and if you're in Christ, you're not going to be judged, you know, with being sent to hell or anything like that. But there are rewards. There are an accounting of how we lived our lives. And the Lord's going to look to us for an accounting of how we led our families. And for some of you, maybe the Lord's saying to you, even in this message, where are you? So it'd be a great time to come to him. It'd be a great time to, like, realize your shortcomings and come to him. Wives, as you look to your husband to lead you and your family, you are actually a visible reminder to him of this huge responsibility he has. That as you look to him to lead your family, you remind him of that role. And I would just say, feel free to remind him verbally. You know, If he's struggling to take an active lead in the family and making some decision, it's a great thing for you to say something like, you know, he's looking to you to do something that really clearly this is something he should lead in, to say, you say something like to your husband, you know, I'd like to see how the Lord leads you. Why don't you go pray about this? Why don't you go seek the Lord about this? And why don't you come back to me and let me know what what the Lord's showing you? Or how about you go and seek counsel from some of the men in the church and then let me know what you're thinking after that. To push back that leadership to him, he needs to feel the weight of responsibility that he has before the Lord. And, you know, this is the thing about men is that we do better, we live better when we feel a weight of responsibility on us, right? We don't really do that great when we're just kind of, you know, living on our own and not really having any responsibilities. But when we see that the Lord has placed this weight of responsibility of a wife and a family on us, it causes us to lead better. A few years ago, I had to get a new work truck. I'm a horse vet, and it's got this, like, super heavy, I'm a 1,200-pound pack that goes in the back that's, like, my entire clinic. It's got everything in it. And so my truck had worn out, and I went down to San Diego, and I found an F-350 long bed that would, like, fit it. I went down to get it. I Ubered down there in faith. And uh, went down there, got it, and on the way home, I'm going on the freeway, and it's like, uh, and I'm like, I can't live like this. Like, I'm not going to be able to drive all day like this, 
You know, as it's bumping, it was just so bouncy. It was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to stand this, you know. But you know what's amazing? The next day, we lifted that huge, not personally, but with a device, lifted that 1,200-pound pack and dropped it in my truck. And do you know what happened? It drives so smooth. Men are like that, (laughs) right? We need that weight of responsibility for us to drive smoothly, you know? When a man sees the, the, the weight of responsibility he has for a family, for a wife, before the Lord, you know, as he sees his wife looking to him for that and reminding him of that leadership, he's more humble. He's more careful. He's looking to the Lord a lot more for help and direction, right? And submission, guys, for you wives is, is a heart and words by which a wife says to her husband, I'm thankful that God has given you as a leader for our family, and I want you to do the best possible job at the role he's given. That's what it looks like. Verse 33 uses the word respect. It's, it's about respect as well. Submission is about esteeming him, praying for him, and, and just making clear that you believe that God's going to lead through him, right? And in um, verse 23 encourages us to do that, wives to do that, reminding you that the husband is your head, even as Christ is the head of the church. And just like no body wants to be freed from their head. You know, no body wants to cast off their head. Uh, no wife, no family should want to cast off the leadership God's given her husband. So respecting and looking to your husband is a, it's a way of building up your husband. Looking to him for leadership and respecting him is a way of building up your husband. We live in a culture right now that really wants to tear your husband down, Right? And there's a lot of relationships you see where it seems to be the goal to tear them down as much as possible. And there's this weird attitude of like, anybody that's any kind of authority needs to be taken down, you know? But guys, women, you do not want a torn down husband, do you? You don't want a torn down husband. You want a built up husband. And the way you build him up is by respecting and looking to him for godly leadership. And I know some of you guys have come from family backgrounds that make this hard. Like some of you guys have come from family backgrounds where the wives led, kind of a real matriarchal type situation, and the, and the husbands were disregarded or they were disrespected. They were seen kind of as, as dumb and as weak and as, you know, fleshly. And they kind of lived into that, right? And, um, I would just say if you come from that kind of background and you're not really sure how to do this, look to wives in the church that love and respect and follow their husbands. We have a lot of amazing wives, amazing women in this church that are super strong, super wise, super godly, and they esteem their husbands. And it's really cool to see. And so those of you who are wives and you just like, I have old patterns, they come from my family, and I get that, and I believe that's a real thing. Look for a mentors. There are mentors here. It's just a really beautiful thing. Whenever you go over to a house for dinner or something like that, and you go to a house where it's kind of one of these kind of like tear down your husband kind of houses, you're just like the whole time, you're just like, uh, you know, but you go to this house where, you know, where the wife like clearly respects and adores her husband and looks to him for leadership and, and just trusts him. And it's just like a piece of heaven. It's so wonderful to be in. Find mentors like that and learn from them. You can learn to do this. We can all learn to do this. We can all change. You know, we have the spirit. And I will acknowledge that we don't always lead well, right? We husbands acknowledge we don't always lead well. We sometimes make this difficult. I almost got my wife eaten by a bear on our honeymoon. (laughs) I feel like this is a safe place. Anybody else? No one? No. Okay, well. It was our first full day married, you know, so... 
We went to Yosemite. I was super excited. I was like, I'd never been to Yosemite. And it's amazing, right? And, um, you know, I felt kind of guilty. My parents paid a lot for us to go there. And then my brother got married like a few years later, and he, he went to Paris. <laughs> like, not this one, but the, <laughs> he went to the one in France. And I was like, I didn't know that was on the table. You know, but anyway, so I was excited. We get to Yosemite. It's amazing. You know, it's like El Capitan and all. It's all like so, it's, it's like a theme park, the way it's all arranged. Where you just drive around, you can see all these things. They're all just like easy to see. It's amazing. It's incredible. And so we're driving along and we see a bear. And we're like, a bear, this is amazing. And so we pull off. And then the bear starts to walk in the woods. And I'm like, let's follow it. So we follow the bear. And I wanted to get a picture. I was really into photography and stuff. And um, not like with the bear. There weren't selfies yet. So it was like, hey, you know. But we're trying to get a picture of the bear. And so we're walking, and everything's great. And he's kind of on the run. And then he turns around. And he looks right at us. And I'm like, we're going to die. <laughs> and I just killed the wife I just got, you know? And depending on who runs faster, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But I learned a lot from that. That, act, that mistake was actually highly educational for her too. But it was highly educational because it was like, it was like I'm, leading a, I'm leading people now, you know? It was like one of those weight of responsibility moments where like, I'm in charge of a whole person, and then there's more people coming. I need to be more careful, <laughs> you know? Like, I need to think more. I need to like seek wisdom. And we see that in scripture too. I mean, just think of like, think of Abraham's leadership of Sarah, Think of how scary that was. You know, they're 75, and he's like, you know, I heard from God. We're going to go in the desert. I don't know where. We're going to wander around. You know, a little bit later, he's like, hey, I'm going to start doing circumcision. You know, I'm going to circumcise myself and all the men around me. God told me to do it. And then, you know, he's like leaving her with foreign kings and shady situations. I mean, he's scary to follow, right? And yet in 1 Peter... Peter commends Sarah for fearlessly following her husband. You know, ultimately, Sarah was trusting the Lord and was trusting that the Lord would lead through the husband she was given, even in all kinds of, like, really gnarly places. Um, Sarah had this, like, amazing, rugged faith, right? And, and Peter says that you're her daughters if you fearlessly follow her example. Single women, watch out for guys named Abraham. And, no, but you're looking for a man that you'd be happy to follow, Okay? You might be like, he's got great abs. That won't last. <laughs> you know, he's real ambitious and all this stuff, but you're looking for a man that you are happy to follow. He doesn't have to be a great leader. I mean, he's brand new. He's probably going to try and get you eaten by a bear, but, but you're going to help him to be the best leader he can be. So you got to believe in this guy. You got to be like, this looks like good leader material. I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to help him to be the best leader he can be. Husbands, realize that it's really hard to submit to another human another flawed human, and follow them. Let's not make it harder than it has to be, right? I, I always drive all the time. I don't ever want to be in the passenger seat, right? And so I say I get car sick, but it's probably a control issue, you know? <laughs> and uh, I would imagine. And it's like that, you know? To be the wife in a biblical marriage is sometimes feels like you're in the passenger seat and you're watching somebody drive that's not a great driver, and Tasha's a great driver, by the way. But you have that feeling, you know? And so let's not make it harder than it needs to be, right? 
think we need to recognize what it's like from the other side. But from the beginning, guys, our desire has been to be a church that men want to come to. So often churches are mostly women coming to church. Husbands are sometimes dragged. But what we've always wanted is that if anyone's being dragged, the wives would be being dragged to church. The husbands would want to be here. They'd want to be here because there's other men here that care about them, that disciple them, that want to help them grow, want to be a place that cultivates strong men. And so I just say, if you're a man here, you're a husband, like take advantage of this. Get to know some of these guys. You know, reach out to them. Eat together as couples in the church. You know, confess your, your sins and your struggles in marriage. Seek counsel. Seek advice. Get coaching. And if you don't want counseling, get coaching. You get a couple that's a little further down the road, one where you look at their marriage and you think, okay, not perfect, but man, a lot better than what we're doing. <laughs> and get some coaching, right? You know, often there's this desire to look like you have yourself all together. I don't know where people got this idea, where they're like, well, when I'm in the church, I have to like, put the church face on and look like I'm all good. We never said that. And people here don't really have a church face. I mean, I see them come in, I can tell they're wrecked. So, like, it's good, right? We're all, like, going to just be honest with each other where we're at. Ask for prayer. Get coaching. Get prayer. We're a family. Let's work this out together. Let's cultivate our marriages together. Husbands, teach each other how to do this well. Wives, teach each other how to do this well. So wives reflect the gospel by playing the role of the church. Husbands reflect the gospel by loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, Husbands, you reflect Christ to your wife through sacrificial servant leadership sacrificial servant leadership. Servant leadership is something that's kind of a, not a concept that our culture really understands well. You know, in the workplace, if you're the leader, people serve you. You don't serve other people. If you're a leader, you don't serve, you get served. If you're a servant, you don't lead, you get led, right? And what we have in Jesus, though, is something radically different, where he actually led by service. And we can see that through the cross, that he lays down his life, for his bride, the church. And we see it in his life too. I mean, you guys remember John 13, where he washes the disciples' feet? This is right before the Last Supper. They come in, everybody's got stinky feet, and like somebody needs to wash it. That would normally be the lowest servant. None of the disciples want to do that because that's just kind of like taking the lowest position. It's kind of like, you know, just when you thought you might get a promotion, you volunteer to be the lowest. That's not a good move. And so what does Jesus do? He washes their feet, and they're astonished. And he says this, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher washes your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you all should do just as I have done to you. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus manages to be both the servant and the leader in that room. No one's confused when he's washing the feet. No one's like, oh, is, you know, am I in charge now and Jesus is my servant? Like, everybody knows Jesus is a leader there. That he hasn't lost his leadership one bit. But no one doubts who the servant is there either because he took the job nobody wanted. Husbands, our leadership isn't about getting our own way, okay? Our leadership is about God getting his way in our family. I will repeat. Husbands, our leadership is not about getting our own way. It's about God getting his way in our family. It's a call to die, okay? A husband's role of leadership is a call to die. Look at verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're called to die 
to having our own way so that God will have his way in our family. I just say to you husbands, like, your model in marriage is a crucified man dying for his bride. So if you get to a point where you're like, this is too hard, or you get to a point where, like, I think I've given enough, or you get to a point like, it's her turn, your model in marriage is a crucified man dying for his bride. Wow, right? It's amazing. Husbands, you're also called to be the shepherd or pastor of your family. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then there's a purpose here, right? That, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So your goal as a husband is to be used by God to so cultivate your wife that she would become more and more like the person she'll be when Jesus returns and, and totally glorifies her. So our, our role is to be used by God to cultivate our wives so that more and more they're like the person they're going to be when Jesus returns to, to glorify her. When he returns to present her, it says, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The Lord is using your just ordinary faithfulness. And this isn't like that you're going to like, I don't know, just do some amazing teaching at home or you're just going to have like this really intense program that takes hours a day to do or anything like that. This is your ordinary faithfulness to lead sacrificially in your family and bring the word of God into your family. It's ordinary faithfulness that does this because God's the one doing it, right? We're just being ordinarily faithful. Guys, how's that for a purpose for your marriage? Like husbands and wives, so you're going to present each other to the Lord on the final day? you will be the fruit of each other's lifelong ministry that you're presenting to God, you know? Because sometimes I think about, because I think about death all the time, every single day, and I think about, like, what will we have to show for it in the end? You know, what will we have to show for our marriage in the end? And you guys have all been at the end, and you know there's, like, a yard sale and some stuff going to the thrift store, right? Like, what do we have to show for it in the end? You know, an impressive social media profile, a bunch of possessions our kids don't want. How about presenting your wife to Christ as the fruit of your lifelong labors? That's something to show for it in the end. Isn't that amazing? It says in 2 Corinthians, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, that on the final day, Paul says, I will boast in you and you will boast in me. That there'll be this like, this is what I have served you to present to you. And it's people. And ultimately, it's your spouse. Isn't that amazing? Single men, when you're looking for a woman to marry, you're looking for a woman to give your life for, to die for, and to present her to Christ at his return. Kind of puts it in a different frame, doesn't it? It does. Husbands, you'll, you'll do this well. You do this by loving your wife well. Look at verse uh, 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. That word nourish is a, a neat word. It's, it's about feeding. It's about providing, right? It, it certainly involves physical providing. Like, you need to feed her. <laughs> you need to provide her a nest, a place to live, right? But Jesus gives us the example that that nourishment is, is physical and spiritual, right? It's leading and it's nourishing her by praying God's blessing over her. Husbands, when's the last time you prayed God's blessing over your wife? You know, do you do that daily? Are you driving down the road and you think of your wife and you pray God's blessing over her? 
How often do you do that? It's by leading her, by bringing God's word into your family, right? Bringing God's word to bear. You know, there's convenient times to do that. The dinner table, our dinner table conversations are crazy, so I wouldn't use them as a model. But bringing the word around the dinner table is a great time to do it. You know, in events that happen, Deuteronomy talks about doing it as you're going. And it's also by bringing your family into the church, right? It's sad how many men forego the church all the time, just week after week. They might come once or twice a month or every two months or, you know, once every three months or something like that. And they pursue things that will pass away. But guys, so many of you are not that way. So many of you men are the kind of men that, you know, you nourish and cherish your wife and your kids and you pursue the things that are going to last. And on the final day, I mean, it's going to matter. You're going to be really glad you did it on the final day. It's going to be so clarifying. <laughs> Have you ever thought about how clarifying the final day is going to be? You know, when Christ returns and there's this moment and, you know, if you're trusting in Christ, you're saved, you're your salvation is intact and everything, but you have this like renewed sense of every single day and what you did with it. And you think, I could think at that moment, there could be a, whoa, I, I just didn't understand what was worth it and what wasn't worth it. And, and on the final day, we're really going to care how we nourished and cherished our families. It's emotional and spiritual. This Greek word here, to cherish, is to warm, which is kind of cool. It's like, you know, warm her up right? Husbands are called to affirm. And, you like the warmer up? It's a weird hugging. It's like a baby, I guess. You're like, come on this. Anyway, it's not about that. In a couple weeks, we'll have a message on that. But husbands are called to affirm and empower their wives and give them what they need to flourish spiritually, emotionally, physically, to become everything the Lord has for them to be. And I love the motivation here for nourishing and cherishing. Did you see it? Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Isn't that interesting? That's the motivation. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So that we should be looking, you know, husbands should look at their wives, and of course wives should look at their husbands as their own body. So you don't look at your wife and go like, man, what's her deal? You know? When's the last time she read her Bible? Or what's it? Tasha's always reading. Don't remember that. That's not an example about her. But, but you, you shouldn't look at your spouse as some other person. She's a part of your body. He's a part of your body. There's a, there's a oneness there that's just incredible. Paul quotes Genesis 2 to talk about it. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Isn't that amazing? I don't even think we fully understand what that is. That's a gift, though. There's a one flesh union that's, that's a gift for us to guard and for us to grow and for us to nourish and cultivate. But Paul does something really interesting here in this text. Did you guys notice that in this text, he kind of veers more and more towards Christ? So he, he talks about marriage, and he starts to kind of veer more and more towards talking mostly about Jesus. Did you notice it? And then he veers back. He swerves back in verse 33. So it goes like this, uh, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It's kind of clearly talking about marriage, right? For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ says the church. So he's starting to talk more about Christ here, right? Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then notice the correction he puts in here. This mystery is profound. And your son, yeah, that is profound how we're like husband and wife, we're one. He's all, no, no, no. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. Isn't that amazing? 
He veers more and more towards talking about Christ, and he wants to make sure in verse 32 that we know that ultimately Genesis 2.24, that the two shall become one flesh, is that mystery is ultimately about us and Christ. It's ultimately about union with Christ. And for those of you guys here who aren't Christians or maybe just have a very small understanding of what we're doing here, biblical salvation is about union with Christ. So the way this works is you don't just work really hard and go through multiple levels to get to a place of salvation and right standing before God. No, what you do, even at this moment, repent of your sin, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, and then what the Holy Spirit does is he unites you permanently to Jesus. So you get united by the Holy Spirit permanently to Jesus so that you are his and he is yours forever. Isn't that amazing? This is something, is an unbreakable thing you get by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus. Verse 33 says that we become members of his body, that Jesus views us and the Father views us as a part of Jesus' own body. And you think, well, like, can I lose my salvation? Well, does Jesus lose his body parts? I would think no, right? We're permanently bound to Jesus. Just like in marriage, everything that Jesus has is ours. We have shared assets in a shared life. All our sins became his on the cross. We shared our debts with him. And he shares all of his righteous assets with us. We have his righteousness. And not only do we have this kind of asset transfer, but we have a shared life, just like in marriage. We have a shared life now. We're one with him. We're interpersonally one with him. We enjoy a life with him forever in the world to come. And we enjoy his life even through us now. And I just ask you this morning, do you have that? Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? Because, you know, when you talk to people about the gospel, a lot of times they say things like, you know, I know I need to get right with him. I know I need to make some changes. And we're like, yes, and amen. Make some changes. But salvation is about trusting in Jesus Christ. And the changes are going to come when you're united with him, when you become a part of his body. So do you have that? You can have that this morning by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus. And so what we have in marriage, according to Ephesians 5, is we have two people who become one flesh. If you're married, you're, you're one flesh. You have a, a union together that's it's a one flesh union, united together spiritually. And not only that, but each of you are united to Christ, right? So united to each other, but you're united to Christ. And, and so there's this union between the two of you that is Christ. Isn't that amazing? It's like Malachi says. It's a, in Malachi 2, he says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Then in a Christian marriage, you have two believers who are both united to Christ, united together, and that Christ is in this. That's the amazing thing about a Christian marriage between two believers, is that, that there's a third person in your marriage that is the real power of your marriage. You, know, you look at certain marriages, you're like, man, that's like, what's going on there? Jesus Jesus is going on there. You're not just two people alone trying to love each other as best you can. There's another person in your marriage, Jesus Christ, and his presence is the secret power to your marriage. And so Jesus is the one who, who died for all your sins, your sins against him, your sins against each other. And Jesus is the one that's right now washing you with the water of the word. He's doing that right now as we trust in him. He is the one that nourishes and cherishes us as his own body. Guys, this should be a massive encouragement because getting married is, it's, it's volunteering for something that only has a 50% survival rate, which we don't do a lot of that. I mean, 
there aren't a lot of things any of us engage in that have 50% survival rates. You know what I mean? It's actually quite crazy to do this, right? It's like Russian roulette, the revolver has a bullet in every other chamber, and you pull the trigger, see what happens, right? Marriage is a terrible idea, unless there is a person that's greater than both of us, living through us, giving us the ability to forgive and serve and love one another. Unless there is another person with us to hold us together, then it's a wonderful idea. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful idea. It's a wonderful idea. So Jesus is, guys, the secret strength in your marriage. And one more thing I want to say about that is that strength isn't automatic. Take a look at John 15. I think it's really important to turn here. John 15, verse 4. That third person in your marriage, Christ, who will empower you to, to live out these roles, we don't receive this strength from him automatically. I mean, sometimes it seems like we do. But this is what Jesus says. John 15, 4. He says, abide in me. You know, live in me. Seek my strength. Seek my help. Seek my grace, right? Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit, for apart from me you could do nothing. So apparently there's a way for us to be united with Christ, but not receiving a whole lot of his life, right? And it's because we're not abiding in him. What do I mean by abiding? Praying, seeking God's help, you know, repenting of our own efforts and, and asking him to fill us, being filled with his word, being with his people. There's all these different ways, you know, the normal disciplines of, of the faith that cause us to abide in him, to draw our strength, draw our ability, draw our perseverance from him. And so guys, I'm not worried about any couple who are both united to Christ and abiding in him. If you're a couple, both believers, united to Christ, and you're actively abiding in him, like, you might need coaching. You probably need coaching. You do need coaching. Okay. But the power to do it, guys, is from Christ. He's in it. You're not alone. He's in your marriage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of uh, union with your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that salvation is not try harder, you know, you're almost there. We'll see what happens. But an instantaneous union with your son Jesus through faith, by the Holy Spirit, that's lifelong, Lord. Even as we see the picture of marriage and we see it so often uh, broken, so often coming apart, Lord, we know that our union with your son Jesus will never be broken. I thank you for that. I just thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. That you're in for good. That your covenantal faithfulness never ends. And Lord, I want to pray for those here, Lord, that as I did in the beginning, that, that have had great pain occur in marriage and Lord, those who have been wronged greatly in marriage. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them grace and that you would help them to see the thing that it points to. Your love for us, which is from eternity past that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That you set your love upon us before the world was even made. And that you sent your spirit at some point in our lives to bring us 
to spiritual life, to unite us to your son, Jesus, and that you will never leave us or forsake us, and you will always be with us, and we'll always be with you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.